Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning. Father, we're so grateful to be in your house, to hear your word, to sing the songs of Zion, and Lord, to be here in your presence. We give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here this morning. The grandfather went to his uh, grandson's Little League baseball game, and he got there a little bit late, and he went by the dugout, and he said, uh, son, how's it going? He said, pop, we're behind 18 to nothing. He said, don't get discouraged. He said, oh, I'm not discouraged. We hadn't even got up to bat yet. <laughs> How many of you know you ought to have faith in the, even the worst situations you go through? Take your Bible this morning. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. We've been on a series called Courageous Faith. We're going to continue that uh, this morning because we really feel like it's uh, something that God's laid on our hearts. And I'm going to tell you something. In the time we're living, if you watch the news, you need some faith. And you need some courageous faith. In chapter 13, verse 26, this is the account of the spies being sent out. We've been taking really two key um, scriptures. We've been in Hebrews, chapter 10, chapter 11, and also here in Numbers 13. Now they, the spies, departed, came back to Moses and Aaron, and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, and they brought back word to them and to the entire congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, the cities are fortified, and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak, and that's the giants there. The Amalekites dwelled in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the termites. Just see if you're listening. The Amorites dwell in the mountains, the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. I think there's some things that we can learn about faith. The Word of God teaches us about faith. So if you have a pencil and paper this morning, there are five aspects of faith that I want to share with you that I think will help every one of us this morning. The first one is, what caused them to really not pursue the promises of God, and I think it's because they forgot what God did for them in the past. They forgot what God did for them in the past. You see, God sent a deliverer. His name was Moses. Moses, with a strong hand, the hand of God, brought the plagues on the Egyptians. The water turned into blood. There were frogs, and there was uh, lice, and flies, and disease, and bulls, and locusts, and all the things that happened. There was darkness and death. And then they departed and they get to the Red Sea and God parts the sea, takes them through. He rains down food from heaven. He brings in meat on the wind, water out of the rock. They spend one year in the wilderness. Now they're ready to cross into the promised land and all of a sudden fear takes over. Goodness gracious, you would think after all of those signs and wonders and miracles, they would say, let's go. God is awesome. 
He, he can part seas. He can, he can do miracles and wonders. He, he brought down the Egyptians. And all of a sudden, they lock up in fear, and they don't move forward in faith. They forgot what God was doing in their life, and they shrunk back. Now, they're doubting that God can bring them into the promised land, and they move from faith uh, to fear, and they'd forgotten what God had done in the past. Most of you uh, probably have your own story, what God has done for you. And in your mind, you're thinking, okay, what, what miracle, what, what situation, what testimony do I have of the miracles of God and the, the mercy of God in my own personal life? I have them, and I think you probably have them all also. Do you remember Jeremiah the prophet? He's called the weeping prophet. He, he prophesied during the time that they were about to go into bondage, and he's trying to turn a nation around. They were into idolatry. They had, they had left uh, their worship of God. They weren't trusting God anymore. And now Jeremiah's prophesying. I want to take you to Jeremiah chapter 2 and bring you to verse number 30. He says, In vain I have chastened your children. This is God speaking. They received no correction. Your sword has devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. O generation, see the word of the Lord. This is verse 31. See the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness to Israel or a land of darkness? Obviously, he has not. Why do my people say, we are lords? So in not turning to the Lord, they, they say, we're lords. Do you know we live in a generation today that people basically are their own God? They do what they want to do. They think what they want to think. They say what they want to say. They're saying, we're lords. We will come to you no more. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Just as Israel forgot what God did for them through that first year, here Jeremiah is saying, a whole nation has forgotten me days without number. You know, it's not good to forget what God's done. But let me juxtapose this with you and go to the beginning of the chapter to verse 1 and 2. Now, this is how this chapter begins. Now, remember, God said, you have forgotten me days without number. Verse 1, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember you. I love that part. You know what God is saying? You've forgotten me, but I remember you. Isn't that just like God? God remembers you, but sometimes we forget what God does for us. Can you really go back and, and pinpoint that, that thing that God did for you? I, I, I have many of those stories. And when we forget what God's done for us, then it's hard for us to remember what he can do for us in the future. But if we have a track record of testimony, what God's done for us in the past, then we can step up and believe what God will do for us in the future. How many of you know he's still God? He's still on the throne. He still does the things that, that he does. He gets us out of our binds. He gets us out of our situations and our circumstances. And sometimes we, we got ourselves there ourselves, didn't we? Sometimes outside forces get us there. Sometimes things we can't control get us there. The world situation gets us there, but sometimes we just get in trouble with no help from anybody else. We just do it ourselves. But God still has mercy and grace on us. He comes in and he rescues us. You know, one of the, the classic stories that I've told over and over again, some of you have never heard it. Some of you are going to hear it about the fifth time, but that's okay. I remember one time, uh, it was in the first of August, and both of my kids are in college at the same time, and it's time to pay tuition, and I didn't have enough money to pay all their tuition. 
and uh, we're, we're cutting and baling hay out uh, southwest of, uh, of uh, town, and I'm uh, on an old John Deere tractor bringing equipment back to, uh, back to the yard, and I'm on that old tractor, no air conditioning, hotter and blue blazes, first of August, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, God, you see my situation. Uh, we need some extra money to get the kids back into school for another semester. And I'm concerned about it. You know, I can't send one back and not the other. You know, that wouldn't be right, would it? So I'm praying. I'm thinking about that. I get up to Highway 53, and I'm getting ready to make the turn, and a guy in a semi-truck pulls over and waves me down. And so I stop, and he walks up to the tractor, and I get down, and he said, Sir, do you know where I can buy a semi-load of hay? And I said, I just happen to know where you can buy a semi-load of hay. He said, I work for uh, an old company, and the, the owner of the old company, my boss, has a ranch down by San Angelo, Texas. And I've just hauled a load of pipe up to this area, and he never likes for me to haul a dead load back without something on it. And he said, if I could find a semi-load of hay, I would haul it back to Texas. I said, buddy, you just follow me. So we pulled down to our haystack. I loaded a semi-load of hay up, and he wrote me a check out. And he said, sir, you don't know me? But he said, this check is good. I said, I believe it is good. And that, that check allowed me to send my kids back to school. How, how many of you know God is a good God? And I don't want to forget what he has done for me in the past because it's a pattern of what God can do for you in the future. And I tell you what, that will build your faith. Here's the second thing. Not only did they forget what God had done for them in the past, they were willing to either stay in their condition or go back to their old condition. How many of you know God wants to move you forward? He does not want you to go backwards. If you've got out of alcoholism, don't go back. If you've been a drug addict, don't go back. If you've been abusive, don't go back. If you've been negative, please don't go back. Please don't go back to where you came from. This is what the New Testament says. If we go back, if we shrink back, if we take a step back, it's like a, an old pig, a sow that came out of the wallow and she got cleaned up and she went right back and rolled in it again. It's like a dog that was sick and he threw up what, make he, what was making him sick and then after he did, he went back and licked it up. Isn't that good right before lunch today? Now, God can give you some graphic words and details. Can he? And when we go back to do the things we've done before, that's the terminology he uses. So they were willing. Now look with me, Numbers chapter 14. This is the chapter right after the one I just read. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. The people wept that night. Why are they weeping? Because they're not willing to go into the promised land. They think they can't. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, now let's stop there. Do you know they're complaining against the leaders, and the leaders had nothing to do with their predicament? They are solely responsible for their fear and lack of faith when Aaron and Moses and Caleb and Joshua are saying, let's go, and they're saying we can't go, but yet they're blaming them because they won't go. How many of you know that makes absolutely no sense at all? And they're complaining, they're murmuring, 
And they said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Let us find somebody who will take us in reverse. Let us find somebody who will take us back to where we came from. Look at verse number two. If only, say that with me, if only. You know, they don't say it just once, they say it twice. If only, if only. Look at verse three. We're victims. How many of you know a lot of people live in the victim mentality? You know, you're not going to get through this world without being a victim. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be talked about. Some people are going to be abused. They're going to have some horrible situations. And just because we have had something happen to us doesn't mean we have to live in a victim mentality. We're victims. Verse 4, let us go back to being slaves. We want to go back. I think they forgot what it was like making bricks, having your babies killed, having the bondage of Egypt. As horrible as, as, horrible as their lives were, they were willing to go back or stay in that condition instead of moving forward. They were willing to live in fear and not go forward in faith. Here's the third thing. The third thing, they had no clear goals or destination for the future. They had no clear goals or destination for the future. In Numbers chapter 32, verse 13, it says, They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. You know how long it took for them to spy out the land? 40 days. 40 days. God said, For every day you spied out the land, that's going to be a year for you to wander in the wilderness. If you're not going to be willing to go forward in faith, you can wander in fear for 40 years. And that entire generation, except two people, died out in the wilderness, and their children took them over. So, they had no clear goals or destination for the future. They wondered, if there's no faith in the future, there's no power in the present. If there's no faith in the future, there's no power in the present. You see, we have to be very careful that we don't always just talk about the good old days. Now, this is what I learned. The good old days weren't always so good. But the older we get, they seem like they were good, but they weren't always so good. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with, with talking about the good old days, but this is what happens. We talk about the good old days, but we don't talk about the future. So we have to keep thinking about the future. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? What are we going to accomplish? And you say, well, I'm not going to accomplish much. Well, you got heaven. I mean, there, there's a lot of good things in our future. Can I hear an amen? So we want to be forward thinking, not in reverse. Um, we have to have some goals in our life. We have to have a destination that we're, we're headed to. Many of you know who Roger Staubach is. He was one of the greatest quarterbacks, really, of all time, a Hall of Famer. Uh, he's the one who coined the term. How many of you ever heard this term, the Hail Mary Pass? Anybody ever heard that? Roger Staubach is the guy who coined that term. Roger Staubach grew up in Ohio. He wanted to go to college, play football. He was a good football player. Some of the places he wanted to go, they didn't offer him, you know, anything to, uh, to, you know, really have an incentive for him to go. So he decided that he would join the Naval Academy and play football. Now, I don't know if you realize back in the early 60s, about 1960 or so, 
what it would be like to go to an academy when you're the plebe or the freshman. There's a lot of hazing. There's a lot of uh, things that were going on in that time. And so while he was there, one of the uh, upperclassmen came to Staubach and said, uh, I heard you were trying to take my position on the football field. And he said, uh, well, I don't know. What's your position? He said, I'm the backup quarterback. Staubach said, no, I'm not trying to take your position. He said, I'm trying to be the starting quarterback. He had a goal. He had a vision. There was there somewhere he was headed. And as a junior, not only did he take the starting quarterback position, as a junior, he was the Heisman Trophy winner. And then most of you know, he went to the Dallas Cowboys and had an illustrious career, a multi-millionaire Hall of Fame because he had some goals. He had something he wanted to accomplish. He was going forward. So we have to have some goals. And God gave them a goal. He gave them a destination. He gave them a place to go. But fear stopped their journey. So we don't want to let fear determine our future. We want to let faith determine our future, not fear. So we want to move to our goals. We want to move to our destinations. And godly goals and godly destinations are good for everyone. It may be in parenting, it may be in finances, it may be in your spiritual journey, it may be in teaching your class, maybe in your practice, could be anything, but spiritual goals are great for every person. Let me tell you what godly goals and godly destinations do for us. Number one, they give us direction. They also allow us to have clarity when we make decisions. Is this moving me to where I'm trying to go? It helps us to stay motivated. It charts our progress. Are, are we actually where we think we're going? It helps us to maintain focus. You know, is this helping me to get where I have determined I'm going to go? It brings a sense of achievement to my life when I'm headed in the right direction. So God says, okay, this is where you've been. With a strong, miraculous hand, I brought you out. This is where I'm taking you. So this is the goal, this is the destination, but fear gripped them and it stopped them dead in their tracks and they wandered for 40 years. Charles Swindoll told the story of a a man driving down an old country road and he saw an old country boy there in his overalls and he had his gun slung over his shoulder. He said, son, what are you hunting for? He said, I don't know, I ain't seen it yet. (laughs) You know, you ought to have at least an idea of what you're hunting for. Where you're headed, but you're going to try to achieve. Um, You know, if you are a country boy, this is something you learn pretty early. I don't know if you've ever been on a tractor and you started plowing a field or disking a field or um, you were on a combine, getting ready to combine a field. When I was in high school, I went on a wheat harvest. And when you get out into West Texas and Western Kansas and Eastern Colorado, They have some huge fields up there. When I say huge, I'm talking about they don't have any fences around them. They go from bar ditch to bar ditch, and it may be one square mile of just one large field. And uh, we learned that when we were cutting that uh, field, you try to just square off enough to, to fill your hopper up because the truck had to come in. You had to unload the hopper on your combine. And can I give you a little hint on how to have a straight line? Because when people hadn't been raised on a farm, they don't know. And you look behind their cut or their plow or their disc, and it looks like a snake. 
But the only way you get a straight line is you fix your eye on an object out ahead of you and you, you take the, the front of your tractor, your combine, and, and you don't look to the left or the right. You look at that object and you just keep moving. And when you get to the end, your line will be straight. But if you don't have a goal, if you don't have a destination, you know what your life looks like? It looks like a snake. You're here, and you're there, and you're over there. Where are you headed? I don't know. What you're hunting for? I haven't found it yet. So we have to have some goals and destinations. God gave them, and God wanted them to move there. Fear began to distract them. Faith began to dissipate in their life. And now what are they doing? They're wondering. Aimlessly wondering. They have that serpentine figure eight pattern in their life. I don't know if you remember uh, Lewis Carroll's book and movie, uh, Alice in Wonderland. Do you remember when Alice comes to this place, she's lost, and this big Cheshire cat appears? In the movie, you know, his eyes appear and he, he disappears and he comes back again. And, and so they, they have a conversation. The conversation goes like this. Would you tell me please, which way I ought to go from here. And the cat says to Alice, that depends a good deal on where you want to go. Said the cat, I don't care much where I go, said Alice. And then the cat says, well, it doesn't really matter which way you take if you don't know which way you're going. You know, a lot of people just live in their life that way. Israel's wandering for 40 years. Where there is no clear destination, we just wander around. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. This is a verse that I think went so well with this. And I was studying this week. And, and verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now notice this. If you're trying to combine that straight line, if you're trying to plow that straight line, what you, you look unto the object. You look unto the the place that you're trying to go forward and straight. So in our journey, what are we doing? Well, this is what Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I came across a story this week, a story that I'd never read before, Terai Trent. She was raised in Nairobi or Zimbabwe, Africa. And uh, she lived in a culture where they had many children, and only the boys and the young men ever received an education. So Terry, I, she, she wanted to be educated like the boys, but in the culture, they said, no, we, we can't educate you. So she always had the goal, the desire to be educated. She was married off at age 11. It's her culture. But then there was a relief organization in her area, and they helped her actually come to Oklahoma. And here in Oklahoma, she went to school, and she got her bachelor's degree. And she would go back to meet her family and visit with her family, and she decided she was coming back here, and she was going to get her master's degree. And she came back and got her master's degree. And then as the crowning achievement for her, she came back a third time, and she got her doctorate, her Ph.D., she went back to Africa where she was raised and she dug up an old tin box 
And when she was a girl, she had written out her goals in that old tin box. And her goals was to get my college degree, to get my master's degree, to get my doctorate. So she went back and she began to check off all those little goals or those big goals that she had in her life. How many of you know she had a goal? And she accomplished those goals. So we are moving toward where God is leading us. And we don't want fear to stop the journey. Makes no difference how old you are, where you came from, what are the conditions, we still should be moving in the journey. Here's the fourth thing. The fourth thing that really derailed them from faith to fear, and they stayed in that, that fear, they accepted the facts as superior to faith. If you don't get anything else for the rest of this morning, listen up till I finish. They accepted the facts as superior to faith. How many of you know God is bigger than the facts? Now, I want to give you the facts, the facts of Numbers 13 from the 10. You ready for the facts? Just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. I sound like a dragnet here, right? Some of you don't have a clue what I just said. So here, here's the facts from the ten spies. The people are stronger. The cities are fortified, large. Giants live there. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and in their sight. Those are the facts, ma'am. Those are the facts, sir. Okay. If we live with just the facts, we will never live totally in faith. But you listen. Peter, one day, is fishing with his other fishermen. Jesus comes along the, the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he says, gentlemen, can I borrow your boat? And they said, sure, Rabbi, borrow the boat. So they're, they're out, you know, putting their nets up, letting them dry. Jesus gets in the boat. He, he gets just off the shore in the bow of the ship. The multitudes are gathered on the shoreline. So get, get in your mind. Here, here the multitudes are. Jesus is in the front of the boat. And now he's teaching all of these people. When he finishes teaching, he says to Peter and the fishermen, he said, gentlemen, get your nets, get back in your boats, go out into the deep and launch out your nets in the deep for a draught or let's, let's fish again. Now, Peter is about to give Jesus the facts. You ready? Here's the facts. We have fished all night and the fish are not there. And by the way, Rabbi, you're the teacher. We are the professional fishermen. These are the facts. But nevertheless, at your word, we will. They caught so many fish, when they were pulling up the nets, the nets, the nets began to break. They had so many fish in the boat, they had to call other boats around them and they not only filled up their boat, they filled up the other boats around them, so much so that they were so low in the water, they had to quit filling the boats because they were afraid the boats were going to sink to get back to shore to unload the fish. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So Peter got a good lesson. He responded well. Nevertheless, at thy word... I will. Let me tell you what Peter did. He said, your word 
is greater than my facts. Hallelujah. I'm about to preach myself happy. Your word is greater than my facts. Every one of us are going to have facts and circumstances that say, I can't do this, I can't accomplish this, I can't go there, I can't do this or that, because here's the facts. God's word is superior to our facts. So they accepted the facts as superior to the faith, but I want to tell you, faith is superior to the facts. Now, let's go a little deeper. Abraham is a promised a son. But we, we could remind God of the facts. Here's the facts. He's 75 years old. Now, that, that would be enough right there. 75. Some of you are 75. Some of you are older than 75. And if someone came up to you and said, I think you're going to have a son, and if you're Sarai, and here Sarah is, and the Lord said, you're going to have a baby. I'm going to guarantee you some of you will be freaking out right now. And you wouldn't have to be 75 to do the freaking out. Because here's the facts. My child <laughs> bearing years are over. I mean, we've tried and we've tried and we've tried and we don't have any kids. Those are the facts. He waits for 25 years. Now he's 100. How many know the facts just got worse? But at 190, 100 years for Abraham, about 90 years for Sarah, guess what happened? They had a baby. Here Isaac comes along. But all of the facts say this will never happen, but faith trumps the facts. Faith is greater than the facts. That's why Abraham is called the father of faith. Can I hear an amen? So faith overrules the facts. And we have to realize that we have to live in faith and not only see the circumstances. So here's the last one. We have to realize that faith stretches us. That faith stretches us. Now let's go back where we actually started the journey about four weeks ago. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. Now when we started this, we said this is not some ethereal concept, not, not some philosophy, not some kind of religious jargon. This is a lifestyle, isn't it? We, we're living in a lifestyle of faith. This is not something we just use once uh, you know, uh, every once in a while when we're in a, a bind or we're in trouble. No, this is an everyday walk. The just shall what? Walk by faith. The Bible also says the just shall live by faith. Right here. The just shall live by faith. Now, this is what he says. But if anyone draws back, or we might say if anyone shrinks back from this, my soul has no pleasure in him. He's saying that I am pleased when people live in faith. I am pleased when people walk in faith. So faith doesn't draw, I mean, uh, faith doesn't draw back, faith doesn't shrink back, but fear draws us back and fear shrinks us back. Can I hear an amen? But faith does stretch us. Ladies, if you're going to give birth, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. You're going to be in the stretch. Can I hear an amen? 
Ladies, I deserve a better amen than that. But if you're going to give birth, you're going to be in the stretch. If you're going to give birth to anything spiritually in your life, my life, you're going to be in the stretch. Because faith absolutely stretches us. So, let me take you through a little series here, and we're going to end this up. Genesis chapter 22. God is testing Abraham by taking Isaac to the mountain of Moriah. And when he gets him there, you know the story. Isaac is not just a baby. He's not six years old. He's not 10 years old. He's not 12 years old. He's a young man. And Isaac looks at his father. He says, Father, he said, uh, here's the wood. Here's the fire. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God shall provide himself a sacrifice. He lays Isaac out on an altar And this is the terminology, and I want to give it to you exactly what it says in verse 19. And Abraham took the knife and stretched out his hand. It's in the stretch. Exodus chapter 3, God is about to deliver his people from the Egyptian bondage. And this is what God says in verse 20. I will stretch out my hand with all of my wonders. First plague. Moses, Aaron, take the rod and stretch your hand over the waters. Second plague. Stretch out your hand with the rod and cause the frogs to come up. Third plague. Stretch out your rod and strike the dust that it becomes lice throughout the land. Stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be hell in the land. Stretch out your hand for the locusts to come up on the land. Stretch out your hand that there may be darkness. Anybody getting a pattern here? Let me tell you, faith is in the stretch. It's going beyond where you are comfortable. At the Red Sea, they're trapped. The Egyptians behind them, the sea in front of them. And Moses begins to cry out to God, what are we going to do? And this is what God says. He says, Moses, take the rod and stretch your hand out over the waters. Last year, I went to physical therapy. I, I had a shoulder problem. Dr. Jeff examined me and said, you need to go to a shoulder specialist. And, and uh, I went there and they said, well, we'd ri- like to try some things before we do surgery, the last uh, option. And, and, and I said, well, doc, what do you think's wrong with it? And she said, well, you've dislocated it a couple of times. And, and every time that ball pops out of the joint, you know, it, it scrapes it and it stretches everything out and arthritis, you know, sits in there. And I think that's for old people. It's not for people of my age. And so they said, you might want to go to a physical therapy, see if they can help you some, make it better. And so I did. And so I went that first day, and it was so easy. I said, man, this is for old people. People like me shouldn't be here. Third week, it wasn't easy. You know what they do? They take you where you are, and they lay you down on that table, and they take your arm and they rotate it back as far as you could take it. And they say, how does that feel? And I said, well, that's about as far as I want to go. And you know what they do? They said, how did that feel? I said, didn't feel good. And you know what they tell you? Unless I stretch you out, you're not going to get better. Unless God stretches you out, you're going to get further. You're going to remain exactly where you are. And let me tell you why we don't like to stretch. I'm not just talking about you, I'm talking about me. We like to get real comfortable where we are. Hey, don't stretch me anymore. You're my enemy if you stretch me. 
If you preach sermons on stretching, you're my enemy. Because not only will you not go further, you will shrink backwards. Because you've heard this, well, you don't just stay where you are. You're either going forward or you're going backwards. And let me tell you, that's not just true physically. That is true spiritually. So faith is in the stretch. Joshua chapter 8, verse 18, the Lord said to Joshua, they're trying to conquest the lands of Canaan, right? They're conquering the cities of Canaan. And this is what the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out your spear over the city, toward the city, and I will give it to your hand. You know, this doesn't stop here. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. You know what happens if you have a tent and you stretch it further? It gets bigger. You know what happens when you stretch out the cords and the stakes? It makes it bigger. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords. Stretch, strengthen your stakes. Because the more you stretch, the bigger you get. Matthew chapter 12. Jesus enters the synagogue one day, and there's a man with a withered hand. Verse 13, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. You know what the guy could have said? I can't stretch out my hand because it's withered. It's dried up. It doesn't work anymore. The muscles have atrophied. The, the nerves don't work right anymore. And here is faith over facts. You with me? Stretch out your hand, and the guy has the audacity to do what Jesus said for him to do. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And let me tell you, God is speaking. Stretch forth your hand, and the man does, and his hand returns to normal. Faith is in the stretch. His hand is restored as whole as the other. So let me ask you a question before we leave today. Are we willing to stretch our faith? Because this is what I know. There's a lot of people who have withered marriages. There's a lot of people who have withered finances. Today in our economy, people's jobs have withered up. People are withered in their health. They're withered in their mental state, their relationships. And you may be here today and feel like you have a future that's just withering away. Well, here's some good advice. Faith is in the stretch. And just as that man who had the withered hand, we have to do some stretching. And we have to believe what God said. We have to take His Word as the Word of God. And faith comes by believing His Word. So our challenge today is, let's stretch out in faith. You see, some people will always tell you why you can't do something. We need to believe why we can do something. And the facts will say, you can't do this because of this situation or this circumstances. You don't have enough this, you don't have enough that, you don't have enough money, you don't have a, uh, enough whatever. But how many of you know God is enough? And we have to believe that God is enough. We have to believe that God is with us. When Israel had forgotten God, and he said, you've forgotten me days without number, this is what God said, but I have not forgotten you.
I have not forgotten you. So we have to believe that we can move forward in faith, but we also have to realize that fear will always what? Shrink us back. And this is what the Lord said. My soul has no pleasure in those who draw back. So faith is in the stretch. Birthing stretches us. Going forward stretches us. So we have to go forward in faith and conquer our fears. Would you stand with me this morning? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.